Hello, and today I'm in Oxford to meet the artist Maddie Acharya Baskerville. Hello, Maddie. Hello. And welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and uh, have a chat with me. Oh, well, thank you for asking me and coming all this way. That's all right. No, it's my pleasure. And we are seated in your studio, mm -hmm. which is uh, a lovely little den full of all sorts of bits and pieces, masks and sculptures and wooden pieces and materials. There are a lot of materials. I've also got a studio at home, which is a painting space, but my main space is here. So the reason that I wanted to come and have a chat with you today, well, there are many, but it all started with a little throwaway comment that you uh, made when I was talking to you a little while back about my little library of truth. And I have these mm -hmm. books and they all begin with the truth about. And you immediately said, oh, I want to have a library of lies and all the, the library of lies. So I, I'd like to ask you more about that. But also... Um, I was intrigued because a lot of your work seems to be object-based and very tactile and very much found materials and, and so on, which seems maybe diametrically opposed, I don't know, but to my own work, which seems to be a lot of the time inside my own head and very verbal and very mm -hmm. conceptual and so on. So that's our rough trajectory mm -hmm. for the conversation, interspersed with the promise of a, of a cup of tea and cake at some point if I play my cards right. So would you like to say a little, uh, summarise a little bit about your work and your practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I am very much interested in the environment and I go to different places. So I go to the coast a lot and I go to forests as well. And this is quite an urban environment, so I'm not opposed to picking stuff up that I see kind of lying around. And I would say I've really got into this idea of not buying materials apart from paint or beads. But I don't buy canvas and I try not to buy things. It's a way of feeling as if I'm not adding to the world, but interpreting my surroundings in a different way. And uh, also, I guess, making a commentary on what's going on around us. And I think it's about playing with materials it's almost the end product is not important sometimes and I can spend hours and hours working on something which then is discarded so I put it away and then that can become a found material later on so yeah that element of fun is really important and it's like when I collect materials I feel like I'm collecting treasure so what other people may think is not very valuable well most of the materials are not that valuable but to me it's treasure and then it's like this is like a treasure trove or, or in some ways Treasure is such a great word as well. And it does feel like that in here. You do you do feel as though this is like a little, full of little jewels and little finds that you've got. But I thought maybe to begin with, I wanted to pursue uh, your comment about truth and lies and, and language. And because your, your work is a very object-based, as I say, but your ti the titles for the, the work are, are lovely and very playful. Mm, yeah, I think the titles are really important. And I don't spend much time writing, but I think I would like to write more. And so the titles are like little stories or it could be a line of a poem or something. So you were thinking you, you might do some writing. I definitely think you should. A, because I like words, but B, because I, I was taken by your titles. I think you've got, let me, let me see if I can find a couple of your titles that I liked. Because right. Well, I like yeah. them all. I, I, made, I made a little note of them somewhere. Russell, Russell. 
frolics with relics, caught up in red tape, the importance of geometry in an uncertain world. That's very poetic. I do think they have a lovely kind of rhythm to them and a balance to them. Mm. What might you do if you were going to do some writing? Do you mean like poetry or...? I mean like writing a, a novel, actually. Oh, right. Yeah, I'd like to write a novel. Have you got a story in mind or a subject in mind? Well, I can't really say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. OK, well, I'll, I, I'll be first in the queue for the book then. When's it coming out? Maybe a couple of years or so, if I'm... Yeah, if I... You're uh, sounding serious about it. I'm very serious, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Well, now I do have, actually, from my library of truth, I brought a few examples oh. for you. So you can take your pick, really, as to which you think, if, if any, chime with you. OK. OK, the truth about psychic powers. Um, OK. I'll tell you why I chose that, because I don't have... A, I don't have... I'm not saying that you... Maybe you do have psychic no. powers... <laughs> But what I like about your work and what I want to come on to in, mm -hmm. in due course is that sense of intuiting or feeling mm -hmm. your way to something. Yeah. And with me, as I say, it feels very kind of thought and logical, whereas it feels very intuitive to you. So mm -hmm. psychic powers may be the wrong, the wrong thing, but a sense of kind of feeling, the truth about getting things done, the truth about managing your career... I've just that was just really mm -hmm. about what what it's like to be an artist or you know where it's all going and that mm -hmm. sense of is it have you got a kind of cunning plan or is it does it just kind of meander and, and yeah. people's approaches to yeah the the business of being an artist mm. you're not so far leaping no, no, and I'm, I'm grabbing I'm, no, grabbing I'm these at out all of them. them. I'm being, what am I being? I, I'm, That's all right. Yeah. Okay. It's part of getting it done. So I'm looking at all of the books that you've brought and Good. then making a decision. Okay, right. Fantastic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've got, some, we've got some more. We've got the truth about lies. Well, like, well you, I, had to, I had to include that one because you, you wanted a library of lies. Mm -hmm. The truth about alien abductions. <laughs> I included that one only because the, the the topic of mermaids comes has been coming up mm -hmm. quite a lot in our group conversations. And mermaids, as far as I'm aware, don't mm -hmm. exist, and neither do aliens. So that was really mm -hmm. my placeholder for the whole thing about mythologies mm -hmm. and and other other narratives. Really, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they do exist. Maybe. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's that kind of the truth about something that doesn't exist is like a paradox. But I mean, according to this, according to this guy, I'm sure he does believe that they do exist. Okay. Mm -hmm. But do you believe in ghosts? Ooh, I'm not sure that I do. Okay. I'm sorry to disappoint. Well, I'm, do I, am I disappointing you? No, I'm just wondering about, uh, you know, sometimes people feel a presence. And it's not based on any sort of logic. It's just that kind of thing. And I, you know, when I think about it, I, I don't really believe it. But then I can't discard it either. No. And I've met two people. Well, I've met several people, actually, who there's not mm -hmm. a transformative experience, but a real lived experience that mm -hmm. they believe was the case. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, alien abductions, I mean, the jury's out, maybe. The truth about getting your point across... <laughs> which you're laughing at that one yeah I, I yeah it's really interesting I think how sometimes 
people are desperate to get their point across. And then sometimes kind of you see people that are not really saying much and they get noticed because they're not saying anything. I thought of this in the context of your work in the sense that whether it's about conveying something or whether it's just providing an encounter and it's enough for somebody else then to make their own yeah. narrative around it. Yeah. So whether you kind of have a need to get your point across when it comes to art, I don't know. And the penultimate one, the truth about organic gardening. Oh, wow. That's as close as I could get to a kind of environmental yeah. one. No, that is interesting. I love this idea of having a garden. I'm think, always thinking about forests and flowers, but I'm not actually very good at gardening. In fact, I'm very bad. I, I see it as such a challenge, it upsets me, and I have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> what, when things die on you? No, it's just that it's quite. I find it quite overwhelming, that thought of looking after lots of plants and everything. Also, the other interesting thing is I'm really into all the, the shape of organic vegetables. And I've got this series of carrots that I photographed and they were kind of homegrown carrots. And they're fascinating. <laughs> let, let me guess, are they vaguely suggestive? They, look, they don't look like carrots. I mean, if you saw that, if you were walking past and you think, oh my goodness, you know. So yeah, I like the organic gardening. Yeah, that could be a new source of material for me, actually. I could actually grow vegetables with a view to them becoming a sort of a precursor for sculptural work. I don't know if anyone's done that. But would it matter that the vegetables would inevitably have a sense of decay to them? Um, yeah, you wouldn't be able to keep the actual vegetables, but I guess photographs. So far I've got a portrait of a strawberry and then I've got a portrait of a courgette as well. So this very big courgette I put inside some starch sheets and put the courgette to bed. <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a bit of fun it's not kind of I haven't really made anything as such but it's an idea okay my last one is the truth about truth so that's my little offering for you mm -hmm. but you were interested in about the but a, a library of lies yeah I like this idea of the truth about lies I think that's I think I quite like opposite things sometimes so if somebody says one thing I'll think something contrary to that and I'm quite aware of that I'm quite interested in what's sort of overlooked or if nobody's paying attention to something, I'm quite interested in why. What does that have to do with lies? I'm not sure what that has to do with lies. Well, but funnily enough, when I was looking um, at some of your work before coming here, and one of the a little story that I think you told a while ago about a piece of work in Oxford, was it at Christ Church? And they, you had to take it down or take it away um, right, because yeah. they objected to it. And I was thinking there is a slight, possibly a slight sense of provocation. They're out there as little mm. challenges, little mm. prods and probes and suggestions and propositions in a way maybe yeah yeah no that's 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 very true i mean it was in a in a cloisters uh, gallery not not christchurch uh, so yeah so i guess it was a little provocation or it is does a little propagation 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's gardening. the gardening yeah. yeah does a little provocation go unnoticed and i think i would have expected that to go unnoticed and i would have kind of laughed to myself or does it become something monumental, which is also really interesting if it does. But I think, yeah, I think sometimes people are quite offended by my work. I mean, I don't make work to deliberately offend anyone. I make it because I just, that's how the process is and that's how it kind of arrives, really. What would be the aspect of your, your work that 
offends then is it is it a particular thing i mean sometimes they're they're quite suggestive in their shapes and forms and so on yeah so like that one there that's called fake it till you make it (laughs) (laughs) so it's about this how lies become the truth so it's that this idea of pretense of wearing a mask and so if you want to be somebody maybe you can be eventually and so what could possibly be offensive about that? Well, there is a slightly suggestive, decorative opening, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Sort of halfway down. Halfway down. There's a presumably a piece of found wood that forks at the bottom to make two legs, mm-hmm. as it were. And, oh, fantastic. Then one of, the, one of the legs has got what looks like a kind of great big shoe mm-hmm. on it. So this is what I find interesting about your work, because I'm now kind of feeling my way to my own thoughts about it and my own responses to it. And I'm thinking, so this is a great big, long, it looks like a clown shoe, one of those big clown shoes that kind of yeah. too big for your feet sort yeah. of thing. Or like stilts, um, kind of horizontal yes, stilts. Yes, yeah. But there is a kind of large red opening um, mm-hmm. suggestively placed, anatomically formed, and a, and then a, a, a mask at the top. Yeah. But I would, I think you'd have to go some to kind of be too offended by that. Yeah, and the the back of it, which you can't see, has three buttocks. <laughs> three buttocks. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a, what yeah. a spare one, just yeah. in case. Yeah. <laughs> a reserve buttock. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and I had it in the uh, RWA show uh-huh. uh, recently and I went to see it and I noticed that my work was with lots of other work that had sort of openings and were hairy and things like that it's like they were all in this naughty corner altogether. <laughs> the naughty section <laughs> excuse me I have just got to go and have a look at the three buttocks okay just I could turn it round actually uh, yeah go on why not let's just sit down again so that our listeners can hear us discourse knowledgeably about uh, such matters. So then, (laughs) how does does one comment knowledgeably about uh, a sculpture with three buttocks? It just feels very playful to me, that kind Mm. of mythology or kind of imagined constructions but is there more that you you're thinking about or reading into or Mm. offering here that I mean, I think not necessarily that piece, but it's also a comment about gender and gender identity and the fluidity of gender, which I think looking at organic shapes, I feel confronted with that when I'm just kind of going for a walk or uh, not even thinking. And it's playful and it is quite funny, but at the same time, those sorts of issues are really serious too. So I like that sort of double-edged thing of humour, but at the same time, it's talking about something that is really serious. Hmm. You mentioned gender as being one issue that you're interested in in your bio. And I always feel very reticent about talking about such matters because I don't feel kind of terribly... Maybe I feel out of my depth talking about it. I'm not quite Mm -hmm. sure. Hmm. I don't know where to go with that one, really. Yeah. But I mean, that is... (laughs) But there is that lovely humour to them and the quirkiness. Well, but but that's... Yeah, as you say, kind of humour can be used to to smuggle in all sorts of ideas and 
thoughts and so yeah. on, which yeah. otherwise become too hot to handle, maybe. Yeah, too hot to express, I think. Mm, yeah. Well, just to close off this little section, I thought I would tell you that if you were going to have a library of lies, it would be mm. a very small library, I'm afraid to tell you. Oh. <laughs> because I did a little Google search. Well, actually, there's a... How many books called The Lies About do you think there are? Well, I think this is a, an interesting point, actually, is that it goes back to that thing about what I was saying about something that's overlooked or something that people are not talking about. So who is going to buy a book which says the lie about fishing or <laughs> the lie about success or the lie about cooking cakes? You know, because it sounds deceitful. It sounds like it's something negative. Whereas actually my point is that people tell lies all the time. You know, sometimes we tell lies to be kind to someone. So that's where I'm getting it at. And there may be no books about it, but you don't necessarily have to have books in a library, do you? Oh, well, that's well, that's very deep and meaningful. That's, that's going to occupy my thoughts all the way home. Um, well, what, what would you have if it weren't? What, would, it, would it be a library of objects or what, would it just be like a kind of a thought library? Yeah, you could have a library of thoughts or a library of experiences. Oh, that'd be incredible. Yeah, so it's not necessarily that there is a volume about it, but that's something quite intangible, but nonetheless very powerful. Oh, I love that. Do you think you could actually set up a library of experiences? I think one could do it. I would see it as a massive collaboration. And I love the idea of collaboration. And you could book out an experience, couldn't you? I mean, you do get these places now that kind of sell experiences. So you can add sail down somewhere or you can go right. canoeing mm. as a little package. But I think there's, there's more to this than that. I think it's actually mm. probably the title of your novel that's coming out, The Library of Experiences. Or The Library of Lies. Or The Library of Lies. Well, let me tell you, just because I know that you're dying to know, there are actually six books that begin The Lie About and a further four books, The Lies About. So only mm -hmm. ten books mm. that tackle lies. Right. Well, anyway, that, that wouldn't be too much of a, of a library to, to assemble. That wouldn't take too much no. time. No, 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 my library would be very different. It would involve people's experiences. But actually, looking at, looking behind you at your little studio shelves, they're full of stuff, and it, and it feels almost like a library. It almost mm. feels like it's all sorted and organised, and you could possibly book out a swatch of material or a pot of paint or something like that. It kind of almost looks like a library of things. Yeah, I think I'm quite organised. Otherwise it's unworkable because I can't. I don't really know what's where. And then I sp I'll spend half a day looking for an object or material. So we're back to tidying up. Because I, I find that I end up doing a bit of a tidy between projects as a kind of a therapeutic mm. clearing of the slate. And plus you sometimes have that rather lovely thing of finding something that you've lost for a long time. Mm. Yeah. I often look for things that I've actually used already. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of obvious, and I think, oh yeah, that was so nice. Where is it? I thought, oh, it's I can't, you know, it's already in a work. Would you dismantle a work to uh, to to reuse something? Probably not. And if I was going to dismantle something, I'd do it straight away because the work wasn't working. But I mean, if I had to get another buttock, for example, I wouldn't take that one off because, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's got its own thing now. It's its own thing, and it's not really fair. You know, I wouldn't like someone to kind of cut off one of my fingers or something so they they have some sort of life i think these works 
Well, let let us, if we may, talk about them in, in further detail after a little cup of tea. Okay, great. Right, so we are back after our quest for tea and cake, mm. which um, kind of took an unusual turn, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was. I felt very uh, disappointed and and uh, let down actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I had promised um, you cake, and so that I'd been thinking about cake quite a lot. The so, high point, the, yeah, the high point of my visit was yeah. nice piece of carrot cake. Yeah. And what happened? Well, it was a wild goose chase, wasn't it? I mean, we went to one place, there was no cake. The next place was closed. And then the place after that also had no cake. So we ended up at the pub. Yeah. We were tempted by a gin and tonic, but in the end, it was mm. a cup of tea for you and green tea, wasn't it? Yeah. Although I think that was a lie. That wasn't green tea either. No, I think that was... Um, Yorkshire tea. Was it? Yeah, I think it was from... That's pl- brown. Yeah, plantations of Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> and a cup of coffee for me. And we did we did manage to find a packet of biscuits, didn't we? Yeah. Chocolate-style biscuits, I'm not quite sure. Yes, I, I wasn't sure about those either. No, you looked a little bit dubious. Yes, yeah. So what role does food play in your creative process, if any? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it plays much of a role because I tend to kind of come here, I've already made my lunch and I actually have the same lunch every day. Do you? Yes, and I quite like that predictability. <laughs> so <laughs> and... I was really thrown off guard today about by the cake situation and actually thinking about it, that's why I don't like anything occurring that's, you know, that would result in a sense of adventure at a time when I'm not looking for <laughs> So if I had to go out and look for lunch, which, you know, I think some people do, they take time out for lunch, they'll go to a cafe or whatever. But I, yeah, so the role of food is that it's kind of, it's prepared. Predictable. Yeah, it, yeah. It's the same every day. What is what is it, out of curiosity? <laughs> well. You don't have to tell me. Oh, no, I can tell you. It's, I guess, you know. It, it's not. It, I, I I quite like eggs, and so I have to have an egg sandwich every day. Right. For my. Why not? Food. Yeah, and I have quite a lot of fruit as well, but I do splash out sometimes and buy a large carton of coconut water, and if I'm working late, I might have a samosa. Wow, rock and roll. <laughs> so well, I wanted to ask you in in all seriousness more about your work and talk through maybe a couple of examples. Is there anything that we could have a look at and talk about in um, particular? Yeah, okay. I can show you this. Um, wow. Can I pick it up? Can I hold it? Maybe I shouldn't. I should ask. Can Robert pick you up? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is somebody with permissions and, and power. Uh, yeah, so I, this is part of a series of works I'm making um, called Unnatural Selection survival of the plastic so it's about ocean pollution and how sea creatures are swallowing plastic in oceans so i've i wanted to kind of take that idea further really and think about what happens if creatures swallow so much plastic that their 
bodies become plastic, so their head becomes plastic, or their feet might become plastic. And then at the same time, I, I'm thinking about the migratory aspect of birds. So the textiles that I've used are from various parts of Asia, as well as some of it is material that I've found here, like the leopard print. So it's a piece of, I assume, driftwood or yeah. found wood, and on top of it is like a almost tennis ball-sized plastic ball, which again I assume is found, which you've then decorated with materials and patterning and put in like a couple of eyes and the opening looks like a kind of a mouth or a beak or something and you've got two leaves coming off to the side of it and it so it, it has the effect of, of a sense of a person or a being about it mm. which was why I was so intrigued when you asked it permission if I could <laughs> pick it, it him or her up and then the the driftwood is also then patterned as you say and it's a thing of great beauty, isn't it? It's a thing of a lot of care and attention and love and time that's gone into it, I think, anyway. Thank you. It's interesting because um, also it felt like a very sort of grand undertaking, and I think that was one of the first ones. And I left it for a while. It wasn't really decorated. I wasn't quite happy with it. It was unresolved. And then the other day I came in here, I'd been working on some other works and then I didn't necessarily need to work on this piece, but I did, and it just, I felt like it had come together and it was very fun, you know. So what extra bits did you do to resolve it, or what did it, what was the missing piece of the jigsaw? Uh, yeah, it was it kind of came up by accident, actually, because I've got all these bits of um, material here, which then, they're just things that are cut out. Uh-huh. Without any real, you know, some of them are oh, like off-cuts or things, and then... It's like three-dimensional collage. Well, it's like a magpie nest, isn't it? Of kind of a, an accumulation of all sorts of things to. Yeah. So this is a little plastic container with small little bits of fabric and glitzy bits. Kind of, you know, often they they are kind of magpie bright, aren't they? Sometimes, or not all of them, but some of them are kind of feel like they're shiny ornamentations. So they're all cut out bits that I was probably making something else. I see, right. And then I right. just put them together quite randomly. I quite like the randomness of them. I feel like a, there, there is a success when managing to kind of put things together in this way, which then begins to look like something that's layered and but it feels like it's come together probably over a long time. I guess it has in the way that all of this has been cut up and put together. And uh, So is, is that what you bring to the party, as it were, as, as an artist, your kind of eye for things and, and the putting together of things? Because I, I, I did a little bit of work a while ago, which was more kind of object-based, but you're trying to feel your way to the finish point or a point at which you want to leave it and it's done and all the rest of it. And I found that... I found that quite unsettling to kind of because I never quite got to that point, or maybe I wasn't sure if I was there or not. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds as though maybe you're you, that kind of comes more easily for you, maybe. I mean, I think the more one works in a certain way, um, the easier it becomes. But sometimes I can think that I've finished something, and then I'll find another scrap of something. I think, oh yeah, well that just about does it. I mean, it's like this one here. So um, this sculpture um wow so 
I use packaging in my work as well so I'm very excited if there's a cardboard box or there's you know you can get all these packaging that oh yes yeah. so this is packaging that comes with mail order stuff it's the throwaway brown paper that is used to insulate yeah. stuff within boxes and so this is really good for um, kind of lining different structures and so this is a much well a, a bigger piece isn't it so this is must be about um, 52 centimeters tall. 52 centimeters tall and almost like a candlestick in a shape in, in a shape it's got a, a base a single foot as a base and a tall thin central backbone as it were and then it, a face or a head on top and I'm looking at one side and it's got three pairs of eyes and some rather wonderful hair and I'm not sure what I'm going to find if I turn it around, but I think I can see there's stuff on the other side. Oh, right. Wow. So that's the back of the head and I like a little either headdress or kind of hair setting with lots of bobbles. I'm not very good on my, my <laughs> hair accompaniments. And what's the, what's the title on this one? Please. Um, I'm all eyes. I'm all eyes. <laughs> You're talking about packaging, so the eyes are like an egg box, are they not? Yeah, it's a it's a squashed egg box, <laughs> which I've kept I'd kept for a while. I knew it had potential, and then in the lockdown, I've been collecting a lot of egg boxes, which are all here. Uh huh. So, Collection of egg boxes, yeah, fantastic. So more up there. Really? Yeah, and um, you can get different colours. Wow. Of egg boxes. Crikey. Purple ones are nice, really good colours, you know. And um, um, yeah, so these are all the egg boxes I've collected. Uh, but that's amazing that you've got probably about 20 egg boxes there, and as um, you say, more, yeah, more up, all up there. Up, they're up all the top. there. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have even thought to begin with those as material. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something very nice about egg boxes and it, it seems a shame to throw them away the way you talk about them i don't know if i dare say this but i mean it also has a little bit of the language of the hoarder about it i mean do you have problems throwing stuff away or or does stuff, some stuff just not do it for you and you just throw it away without a second thought or um, is everything potential material i don't know no i don't think so i think that there are things that i've collected that i've thrown away subsequently i don't collect everything some things I'm really not interested in. I'm more interested in things that are more organic. So cardboard, for example, is kind of its paper. And then the egg boxes are also made of paper pulp. So yeah, it's more organised. I think there are categories of materials. Yeah. Which then translate into categories of work as well. I think sometimes it's about realising that potential there and then. And... I know that this ha does have potential as an idea and there was something quite unique about the lockdown and this idea of trying to keep healthy and eating lots, <laughs> eating lots of eggs and how an egg is, you know, can sustain one for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I sort of really got going with it. I was, go I was a bit annoyed as well with myself because... I was thinking, what are you actually going to do with these egg boxes? And then one day I made a, a temple and I thought, right, this is it. That's what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing now. 
And that's a nice point in the creative process, isn't it? When suddenly something comes to you, oh, and you think, oh, so that's why, yeah. that's why I'm yeah, doing yeah. it. That's where this is going. Yeah. If that moment doesn't arrive, then it, I think it becomes quite overwhelming, mm. that sort of endlessly collecting. And sometimes I do wish I didn't have anything and that I was making films and I would hand over a little you know, <laughs> stick. And maybe. then it would be a massive projection yeah. but that hasn't happened are you tempted by anything like film i think i am i think i am but i like objects too much i don't know how people look at screens all day i think it's exhausting it's much more exhausting than working you know in the studio doing kind of physical work but i, I am tempted i think it would be interesting to see what you would do if you did do a film it's a kind of compare and contrast almost by doing something in a different medium like that yeah yeah, I mean, I think it's always interesting to branch out and do something, but then to get to that point with it where it's feeling like it's something that is competent takes a long time, and I feel like I've got so much work to do that I, I don't have, you know, I can't take two years out or whatever to do something else. So, yeah, so I feel like I'm on some sort of track with, with all of this. Yeah. Do you want to say a little bit about your Indian heritage and, and a, a lot of references in your work? How does that play out, would you say? I think it's that sort of fusion between now and sort of having been born and brought up in, in India and just returning to there as a sort of a reference point. And I feel that that sort of comes from somewhere. It's not necessarily even conscious. It's not necessarily thinking, oh... I will include this so people can think about my heritage. It seems quite an automatic sort of response, you know. It's just part of your makeup yeah. and, and, and who yeah. you are and your responses. Yeah, so this these eyes, for example, um, are kind of, it's from, if you look at images of Goddess Kali, those sorts of eyes, and I thought, oh, I fancy having uh, three sets of those rather than one. And then I was thinking... Mm. It's like having three buttocks. Yeah, yeah, let's have three. Why well, have to, no, two's not yeah. enough. But you didn't ask her permission. I haven't picked her up, though, no. if it indeed it is a her, but I haven't. Um... Yeah, well, I don't think you would pick her up. Does she look like someone you would... She looks a bit... Yeah, she can look after herself. They have their own life to them, mm. I think. Yeah. And maybe that's one way of thinking about when when something's done or when it's when it suddenly comes to life, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes I feel like I'm walking in here and they'll say things like, mm, about time. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually have conversations yeah, back with you. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that's why I asked that one whether you could pick it up, because I felt I had to ask. <laughs> no, that's intriguing, because it's because it's it's all relating back to... I don't know what it's relating back to. Well, maybe that would be a, a good point at which to uh, to say thank you so much for this conversation. It's been absolutely fascinating to hear all about your little treasure trove of materials and your creative process and your use of words and language. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next. Oh, well, thank you ever so much for talking to me. I've really enjoyed it. Well, I have too. Thank you so much. Thank you.
for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media. And check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Berwick Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you.